Well, amen. Let's turn to God's word this evening. We're turning to the book of Exodus again, please, in the chapter 25. Uh, the book of Exodus in the chapter 25. And we're turning to the verse 10. Uh, Exodus chapter 25 and the verse 10. We're thinking about the most holy place this evening. Specifically, we're thinking about the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And we're going to read the details of these particular things in a couple of passages here in Exodus. And let's read these together. This is the word of the Lord. And we're reading from Exodus chapter 25 and the verse 10. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. And a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it. And shalt make up on it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it. And put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it. And two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood. And overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark. Uh, that the ark may be borne or carried with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. A cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. With beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherubim on one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another, toward the mercy seat shall the faces and cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above, above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee uh, from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And another reading, please, from Exodus 26, just the next chapter. And the verse 31, please. Exodus 26, please. And the verse 31, just a few verses from there. And it speaks of the inner veil and how it was to be made. This is the veil that would have split the holy place uh, from the most holy place within the tabernacle. Of course the most holy place being where this Ark of the Covenant would have sat. And we'll, we'll show, see that in the images in a few moments time. But just the reading of God's word first. Exodus 26 and the verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine uh, twined linen of cunning work. Uh, with cherubims shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches uh, that thou mayest bring the in thither into the veil of the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. 
And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, the holy of holies. And thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle towards the south. And thou shalt put the table on the north side. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. Well, we've finally arrived at our final part of our tabernacle journey, and I trust that along the way uh, that you've been challenged, uh, that you've been encouraged, uh, that you've been edified as you've listened to the Word of God each Wednesday evening throughout these eight studies. And let me thank many of you uh, for your faithful attendance week in, week out at our midweek meeting. It's an encouragement to me Um, as I seek to share God's word. And many of you have been at each of our tabernacle meetings um, over eight weeks, eight studies, and I trust that indeed you've been blessed as we've gone through. And this evening, as we continue our journey, we, we arrive at what many call the holiest of holies or the most holy place. And we'll discover that every everything that we have considered throughout this series is really all in preparation Uh, as we come into this particular part of the tabernacle. We're entering into the most sacred place that the Jewish people would have known. And for us in our study this evening, uh, we like Moses must lose our sandals from off our feet because we're standing on holy ground. This is the climax of the tabernacle. This is what the tabernacle was all about. So let's go through our walk one last time. I don't apologize for repeating this each week. as It's the best way for us to get it into our heads and to remember the journey into the most holy place. So we come to the entrance at the east gate of the courtyard. The only way to enter into the tabernacle was that east gate of the courtyard. And the only way into the courtyard that was, reminding us of the Lord Jesus, who is the one mediator between God and man, the one way into that place. And we considered then as we moved on, we went to the brazen altar where the fire was always raging, reminding us of God's wrath, which is always raging. And we considered how the the wee lamb would have been sacrificed there and how that was a, a picture of the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of the sin of the Israelite. And of course, that wee lamb's blood had to be shed and it had to be sacrificed, giving us that picture of our Savior who gave his life and shed his precious blood as a ransom for many. And then, of course, we continued with the priest on to the laver. And there at the laver, we washed our hands and our feet, reminding us of the importance of God's word and how it cleanses us as we walk through this world. And the Holy Spirit ministers to us and he aids us in our understanding of the word of God. We then went on into the holy place and we considered the altar of incense where this beautiful aroma constantly burned, filling the holy place with its smell, reminding us of our Savior's role in our prayer lives. And then we spent two weeks considering the menorah or or, uh, the golden lampstand and teaching us of the centrality of Christ And how we must root our lives in him. And of course the seven flames that burn shedding light in the tabernacle. It was the only source of light in the tabernacle. And of course we learned the importance of the work of the spirit of God. 
in each of our ministries. Last week we spent our final evening um, here at the table of showbread. And we considered the picture of friendship and fellowship we have with our God as we watch the priests feed on the bread each Sabbath. Reminding us of our need to meet and have fellowship with God's people. We considered the eternal security. How there was a rim around the table of showbread. And that secured the bread to prevent it from falling off. And then we were reminded of that frankincense that was put on the bread. Reminding us of the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which ought to be evident in each one of us as we go about our daily business. And of course... In our sinful nature, we feel the Lord, but we must strive to live for God. We need to seek to live for him so that the fragrance and beauty of Christ will be seen in each and every one of us. I hope you'll remember that the tent of the tabernacle was split into two sections. We've talked about this. So now we've considered and we've completed our studies in this part, which is the holy place. Tonight, we consider this veil and we enter into the, whole, the most holy place, the holiest of holies. And there's this first veil, if you like. Um, and it would have been, the first veil would have been here at the entrance of the tent. And then there was this second veil. And this was an, a very important veil. And it separated the holy place from the holiest of holies. Let's quickly deal with the veil. As it teaches us something of how sacred and how holy the place we are considering is. This evening, let's consider the second veil. You know, as we've been considering the tabernacle and the rules and the rituals associated with it, uh, there to, it's, they were there to teach the people of Israel and indeed us today lessons about our relationship with God. And the veil for the Israelites, this second veil that we're considering, showed that the way to the most holy place was not yet open. And the reason why it was important, uh, the reason why it's important for us to consider the veil and the tabernacle in our study of scripture is because there's a lot of New Testament teaching on our salvation that speaks to us in terms of the Jewish tabernacle. The word veil in Hebrew means a screen or a divider or a separator that hides. And this veil, it separated the priests from a holy God. Whoever entered into the Holy of Holies was entering into the very presence of God. And only the high priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. And that was only once a year on the Day of Atonement after meticulous preparation. Anyone else, or, or, or if the priest got his approach wrong or entered in the wrong day, they would die. That's how serious it was. To enter into this place the wrong way. To go into God's presence the wrong way. But it was never God's desire to distance himself from mankind. He created us to enjoy fellowship with him. But this was interrupted by Adam and Eve's sin. Remember how when God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim where? He placed them at the east of the garden. All of a sudden you see the significance of the east gate and the tabernacle. It was at the east of the garden that the cherubim were put in the garden of Eden. And you entered in at the east gate of the tabernacle. And the cherubim barred the way into Eden. Barred Adam and Eve from going back into Eden. Of course those cherubim, they had flaming swords guarding the way 
uh, to the tree of life. And surely then it's significant that the veil which would have been east facing when you consider when you consider the approach in the veil separating the holy of holies from the holy place was embroidered with pictures of cherubim. We read in Exodus 26 verse 3, And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work, and listen, with cherubims shall it be made. There were cherubims on this veil, and further the mercy seat in the most holy place was overshadowed by two cherubim, and we will think more about that in a few moments' time. But above it were cherubim and they overshadowed the mercy seat. You see, here is something quite significant to note. You could only approach God on his terms in the tabernacle. The simple message of this second deal in the tabernacle was keep out. Keep out. This veil was a merciful provision from the Lord to shield the priests from his glory, otherwise they would die. You know, this curtain, it reminds me of how holy God is. And, and we've mentioned already that the approach to the tabernacle had to be done correctly. And it reminds me that today when we approach God, that we are still, now get this, we are still approaching the same God of the Israelites and we ought to approach him properly. We change, but he changes not. When we pray, we must always remember to come with holy reverence. Not like we're going for a chat to our next door neighbor with our hands in our pockets. We approach a holy God. And we come to an extremely important fact that demonstrate us, demonstrates to us that the era of the tabernacle and later temple was over. For when the Lord Jesus cried, it is finished. This veil, not in the tabernacle, in those days it was the temple, but it was this veil here that was rent from top to bottom by the invisible hand of God. Any Jewish person, even if you're talking to them today, will tell you that without this curtain or veil, the tabernacle or the temple, it doesn't work because you're unable to enter. This curtain was of extreme importance. And when the Lord Jesus cried, it is finished, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. Dear friends, this evening, the wonder of it all for the child of God is this. It's found in Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest how by the blood of jesus it's we don't need this curtain anymore because we're covered by the blood of christ who shed his precious blood at the cross and that's why we read in hebrews 10 having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. We can go through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Praise God for what Christ accomplished at Calvary because we don't need this veil anymore. We approach the throne in heaven through the name of Jesus Christ and through his precious blood. Listen, 
You can imagine if every single Israelite had access and permission to enter through the veil into the Lord's presence, what would have happened? I would like to think that they would have been coming flooding in. Isn't it sad that so many across our country at midweek meetings, at prayer meetings, don't come to the prayer meeting? Isn't it sad? Because if you think that Israelite, any Israelite, if they had been allowed that access, I would like to think they would have been flooding in. And yet, right across our province this evening, and in many other places, there will be prayer meetings that will meet. And at times, it's the worst attended meeting. You know, I heard a quote from Alistair Begg recently. And he said, if you go to a church on a Sunday morning, you'll find out how popular the church is. If you go to a church on a Sunday night, you'll find out how popular the preacher is. He says, if you go to a church on the, on the prayer meeting night, he said, you'll find how popular God is. I thought that was a telling quote. And here were the Israelites, and they weren't allowed this access. Only the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, was allowed to go through that veil. And brothers and sisters, this evening, we have that access, not once a year, any time we need it. Any time we need it. Now we still have to approach in God's terms. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you understand this, you will long to meet with God's people and to pray with them and to our great God to come to him because we have access through this new and living way as we read in Hebrews 10 verse 20. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that. And when Christ cried, it is finished. It was a certainty for the child of God. It was a victorious cry because the veil was torn and the holiest of holies was exposed, showing that through Christ and his sacrifice, God's presence was now accessible to all the redeemed at any time. That's our privilege as New Testament believers. So let's praise him this evening that we have full access to the throne of heaven at any time. Now what I want to do is I want to think about the Ark of the Covenant. And I want to think of the throne that would have been in the top. Let's spend our final few moments in our study this evening considering everything that was beyond this veil and consider what it teaches us. You know, we could do another eight weeks in this area alone, uh, but let me encourage you to take time in your own personal study at home to go deeper than we will this evening. The inner walls of the entire tabernacle, they were covered with gold. In Exodus 26, verse 29, we read, And you shall overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold as holders for the bars, and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Gold was the finest of material available. Which is why everything in the tent of meeting was made of gold. And you see, for those who were able to enter into this place, the tabernacle, it was a great privilege because it was a foretaste of heaven itself. The reality is, just as the most holy place was a spectacular place to enter, heaven will be rapturous for those who enter. 
And one day we will go to that land where we'll never grow old and all our struggles and trials will be over and we'll be safe in that beautiful shore. In Revelation 21 verse 18 we read this, The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. Revelation 21 21 And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now we must note that in those days, gold was the most precious commodity of the day. And it was being used uh, figuratively to communicate the intrinsic qualities of the value of heaven. Imagine a picture of heaven there in the tabernacle. And heaven is and will be wonderful for those who inherit salvation. Now really within the most holy place, we just see this type of heaven. But also this place is where God himself dwelt in the camp. It was his throne. Here we see God's throne. And this throne, it was made up of two parts. The first was the Ark of the Covenant here on the screen. It was made of acacia wood, overlaid with gold both inside and outside. And it was a box roughly three and a half feet long, two feet wide and two feet high. And it was fastened on the bottom with four rings, two on each side and two poles going through it to carry. And it was placed in the holy place behind the veil and was the place where God would meet with the children of Israel. Within the ark, God commanded that different items would be put inside and each of them teaches something about God. And it still stands for us today inside, just inside this. There were three items that were kept. The first item that was kept in there was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were placed inside it. In Exodus 25 verse 16 we read, And you shall put in the ark the testimony which I shall give you. That's speaking of the Ten Commandments. This was a reminder of God's righteousness and justice. And when the people thought of the ark, they would remember the commandments of God. And dear brothers and sisters this evening, this reminded the people that were there, that this is, this reminded the people that there is a standard. And let me remind you that God's standards have not changed. And how scripture teaches us that his standards, they still stand today. God's throne is where all righteousness and where all judgment proceeds from. In Psalm 97 verse 2 we read clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and judgment and justice are the foundation of his throne. Therefore we ought to strive to live for God. And obey all that he commands out of our love for him and all that he has done for us. The second thing that was found inside this ark was a jar of manna. And the jar of manna was kept in the ark of the covenant as a reminder of, of provision. Exodus 16 verses 32 and, thir- and to 33. Uh, gives the reason why they were to keep this manna there. It says that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron. Take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it. And place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Never ever forget. That every spiritual and material blessing comes from the hand of God. Never forget to thank the Lord before each meal that you sit down for. Remember to thank him for each day that he gives you. 
God reminded the people through this jar of manna that he is the one who fed them and he is the one who led them. The third item that was found in the, in the ark was Aaron's staff. It was to be kept in the ark to remind them of the authority of the priesthood. In Numbers 17 verse 10 we read, But the Lord said to Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put an end to their grumblings against me, so that they should not die. And for us today, Christ alone is high priest, as ordained from God's throne today. In Hebrews 2 verse 17 we read, Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. When things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, the high priest entered into the most holy place on behalf of the people after meticulous preparations. And in just the same way, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, he is our high priest who made meticulous preparations and shed his own blood for us. And now he intercedes for us and prays for us. How the Ark of the Covenant reminds us that God is a righteous judge who still wants us to live for him. His standards have not changed. The jar of manna reminding us of God's constant provision for us. And Aaron's rod reminding us of our great high priest who makes intercession for us. But then also there was the mercy seat. So you can see this was in two parts. All the items that we've just discussed were here um, in the Ark of the Covenant. And then almost like a lid. Uh, was the mercy seat that sat on top. And mounted on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And there were the two cherubim both facing each other with wings touching. Now this mercy seat uh, might be better translated and more literally translated as the atonement cover. The atonement cover. You see, to enter this place, to enter into the holiest of holies, you needed to be sinless. Therefore, it would be impossible to do that as all have sinned. Therefore, provision needed to be made. The, the correct clothing had to be worn. The high priest had to make a sacrifice reminding him of the seriousness of his own sin. And he would collect the blood from that sacrifice and would carry it with him all the way into the most holy place and the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat or the atonement cover. And through this blood on the mercy seat, it was a picture of reconciliation between God and man. And therefore the priest could stand in God's presence and that cloud of the Shekinah glory would come right down there and meet the high priest in the holy place. And there were those two cherubim over the atonement cover and they were protecting the glory of God. They were made of pure gold. Remember way back in our first study I quoted Derek Bingham, and this is what Derek Bingham said, The jewel in the evangelistic church's crown is the presence of God amongst his people. The jewel in the evangelistic church's crown is the presence of God amongst his people. The only way the people could fellowship with God was through the blood of the Lamb sprinkled on the mercy seat. And today is the children of God we entered into that within the veil and have fellowship with God only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And today, because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, I can enter into that throne room and speak and commune and have fellowship with God as I ride my bike, as I sit on the top of a double-decker bus, as I drive in the car, as I make the dinner. I have full access to the throne. And then I can come to the prayer meeting as we are this evening, knowing that as I pray with God's people, I have full access. I don't need Aaron, the high priest, anymore. I have the Lord Jesus, my great and heavenly high priest. And way back at the beginning of our series, we asked the question, what is the point in redemption? That's what the tabernacle teaches, the point of redemption. And we can rejoice this evening that we have a God who wants to dwell with us. That's the point in being redeemed. We want uh, God wants a relationship and fellowship with us. And because we have our great high priest, God is always present with you because he dwells in you. And where his people gather, he is present as he promised. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Here's the words you sang and we sang together as we opened this evening. Maybe they make more sense to us now after thinking about the mercy seat. Jesus, where'er thy people meet. There they behold the mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found. Wherever we are, wherever we seek him, we find him with grace and mercy to abound. For thou, in these days, the walls confine the presence of God. But we as New Testament Christians can say, For thou, within no walls confined, inhabitest. The humble mind, such ever bring thee where they come, we take him wherever we go. And going, when you go tonight, isn't this lovely? Maybe you go home tonight and you'll be on your own. But yet the hymn we sang was, and going take thee to their home. He is always with us. Always access to that mercy seat. Isn't it beautiful what God has done? Isn't the tabernacle such a lovely picture of what it means to be a saved person? To be redeemed. To see what Christ has accomplished. And to see that picture of heaven. That the fact is that at the moment, as a New Testament Christians, it's just a foretaste. Just a foretaste of what's to come. When we go to glory, we'll see the complete picture of that. What a wonderful picture we see. I can't wait until the day that I stand in glory. But how good for us today. How good for us today to just enjoy the foretaste of what's to come. Let's pray together. Our Father, to think of what it cost thee in order for us to have this wonderful access that we have today to come into your presence, truly become as a grateful and thankful people. We thank you that we can come before that throne in heaven, that mercy seat, 
We thank you, Father, that we no longer need the blood of a lamb. For Father, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has shed his precious blood. We thank you for that curtain torn from top to bottom. Father, so often we take it for granted this access that we have at any time to come into your presence. Oh God, we return our thanks to you this evening. Father, just give us that greater desire to be with your people when they pray. Father, we thank you tonight that as we sit in this place, with this picture from scripture before us, as we come to this time of prayer, that, Father, we know that we're coming into the throne room of heaven. We have audience with you tonight, King of Kings. Father, we adore you. and We enthrone you again. and We worship you as our King of Kings. We thank you for our great high praise. And we thank you, Father, for the indwelling spirit. Father, as we come to pray just now, we thank you that you are here and you listen to our prayers. We thank you, Father, for answers to prayer in past weeks. And we pray, O oh God, that you would continue to minister to us as we pray that we would know in the coming days answer to prayer. We pray all this in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.